0: Hello, this is Dave Hendon with the Snooker Scene Podcast. This week, something a little different. There's a new film out this week called Break, and as the title suggests, it is set in the snooker world. And I watched it last week. Now, I believe reviews are actually embargoed until the end of the week, so I'm not going to say what I think. But thankfully, we do have the writer and director, Michael Elkin, with us, who can tell us all about the film. Michael, firstly, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, David. Nice to talk to you.
0: Okay, so... Before we get into the film, just tell us about your background, because I believe you're primarily an actor, but you've also obviously written and directed this film.
1: That's correct. Yeah, I started in this industry quite late, about 27, 28 years of age. Um, after doing lots of different different jobs, to be honest with you, I was, uh, I've worked on building sites, labouring. I've, I've worked on the doors of casinos in central London. Um, I've also, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of horse racing. So I did spend a couple of years um, just going up and down the country, putting bets on horses um, and sustain myself for a couple of years. Eventually, the money ran dry on that, as you probably imagine. (laughs) Um, So I just tried to play as an actor, which is something I'd always wanted to do Um, with mixed success. You know, I've appeared in a few films, a couple of soaps, EastEnders I was in a, a few times, but only only minor like an episode here and there and then i'd always been a keen storyteller and to write stories which is how the the thing with break came that was one of the first probably not the first i've written uh, but yeah. it's the first that i've gone on to direct
0: okay so tell us about the film um it's called break there's a clue as to the subject matter but as we were just chatting before we started recording it's not necessarily a film about snooker is it but there is snooker in it
1: yeah, correct, yeah. It, it, it's a film primarily about somebody triumphing against the odds, really. It's your, your, your famous old tale of rags to riches. Um, somebody who, against the odds, triumphs with, with you know from a, a poor impoverished background, if you like. Somebody that's born on a council estate. It kind of mirrors my own life in as much as I found acting. Um, and although I used to play snooker, I wasn't ever really a talented snooker player. I think my highest break back then was 52. But recently, I've actually upped that to 67, uh, which uh-huh. I was over the moon with. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the, the guy's um, a talented player. He's surrounded by a lot of stuff that we find very current in today's society, like drugs and knife crime. You know, a lot of the stuff that the youngsters are sadly getting involved with. And I always had this thing that, it, it, for me, it doesn't matter where you're from, what part of the tracks you're from. You know, you can always make something of your life, and that's kind of what Break is. It's about this this guy's journey of trying to make use of the talents that he's got. Um, and this this happens with the aid of a mentor a character played by david yip called vincent kiang or chang actually it's pronounced um and it's it's basically his journey i think the best way to describe it is is karate kid with a snooker cue so although <laughs> karate Kid was primarily about obviously his journey as a, a karate um student um with break it's not really as you say a, a snooker film but it, it snooker happens to be the backdrop it happens to be this guy's potentially this guy's way out of, of his situation if he chooses to, you know, use the talents that he's got.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have referenced the Karate Kid there and, and the film I thought about, I think people always think about in terms of sports films, is Rocky, the sort of classic, you know, rags to riches and, and find, finding an outlet. But I guess the question is, why was it, in in the case of this film, why did you choose Snooker as, as the way that he could sort of improve his life?
1: Uh, well, I, I'd always... As a youngster, I grew up using a lot of uh, snooker halls. I mean, I think Jimmy White's one of the most famous. that said he used to skip school all the time and spend all this time mm. around Mitcham in snooker halls. Um, and I was the same with that as that for, for quite a while. A lot of a few of my friends, we used to skip school and we'd end up in either Tulls Hill, uh, West Norwood or Brixton snooker halls, which is where I grew up. Crystal Palace, we had several. They've all sadly closed down now, which is a shame, I think, because grassroots is where... Snooker is a sport, I'm th- I think, under Barry Hearn is going in a fantastic direction, but I think in grassroots, i.e. people walking to clubs, it's sort of suffered. But I was talking to a friend of mine um, about a player we knew that used to play in one of the clubs we used to go to, and he was an absolutely tremendous player. Rumour had it that he actually played, uh, I think it was Jimmy White, and, and, and beat him. Um, and everybody used to talk to this guy and go, why don't you turn pro, you know, why don't you go for it? But he was too busy being up to no good. He the back drive and, you know... And it, it just always puzzled me how somebody with a talent would choose to do that. I know it's quite often the excuse people use when they come from certain backgrounds that, you know, they, they, that they had to choose a lot. Personally, I don't. I think with all options. Um, but this guy in particular had an option where he could have pursued, a, you know, a, a career in snooker because he was that good, but never did. And I think that's where the story started with the seed of this guy. It started with an image in my head that we had this guy with a, a snooker queue in a dimly lit, you know, snook- a snooker room um, surrounded by gangsters. Because a lot of these places years ago, a lot of the snookers I used to go to, certainly, it was a hive of activity and characters. You'd have people sitting playing cards all day, and piles of money on the table, uh, gambling going on. And uh, it was just an array of characters. And, and I had this image of this guy standing there brandishing a snooker queue, which was ultimately his salvation, but branding it as, as a weapon, so ultimately using it wrong. Uh, and that was something that interested me, and I thought, what if we had this kid that, for whatever reason, didn't pursue his dreams, or he was dragged back into a life of crime, but he had this talent. And snooker just seemed like a nice way to to get into some of the clubs, because I've I've always found them nice environment. Despite I've said with all the characters, there wasn't really any any trouble when in Just a, a good array of characters, and you always had these talented kids um, that came in that could play snooker. And some of them make it, some don't, which I think is part of the course in any any sport or indeed in any um career that somebody
0: chooses yeah spencer pride is is the name of the main character and he's it's fair to say his life you know there's a there's a lot of problems he's when the film starts his father's in prison there's a in the very early in the film something pretty tragic happens to one of his friends He's, as you say, he's, he's, you know, involved in drug dealing and, and, and a life that, you know, he's probably going to follow his father into prison if he carries on the way he's going. It's fair to say, though, he has to be sort of talked into um, following his snooker path, doesn't he? It's not something that, even though he's talented at, he's necessarily seeing as a career at the start of the film.
1: No, he isn't. Um, I think it's, it's a dream that he's long lost. And I think sometimes the early parts of your life can be, it's only my belief, but I think a lot of the time, even as kids, a certain thing can happen in your life where you see that as a career option. You might not necessarily know it or you'll you'll um, expose a talent that you have very early early on in life. Quite often, you don't get the opportunity to utilise that talent as you go on in life. You know, it gets forgotten or you end up doing something else. I mean, how many times have you stood in a pub and someone said, I wish I'd have done that? Mm. And that's kind of me with acting. For years, I'd always wanted to do it. And it wasn't until 27, 28 years of age that I actually embarked, you know, on on a career as trying to become an actor. Um, And it's something I'd always wanted to do, but I didn't think that someone from my background could do that. I didn't know how to get into it. And it was a chance meeting with another actor, um, a guy named Jeff Bell, that was in films like The Business. And he's done lots of of films. now. He's he's actually got a good career. I was chatting to him one day and he said, well, go and do it. And, And I did. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people ignore that. And... Lots of people standing up wishing they'd done something. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to do with Spencer Pride. His character had this talent but didn't necessarily want to utilise, didn't want to push forward with it for whatever reason. There's all sorts of reasons that people, you know, hold back. Um, It's for fear of failure. Uh, You know, some people just don't like the thought of of maybe trying it and then failing and having people laugh at them, Um, which is something for me even as an actor that I started out and people were... You know, you get jokes and stuff with friends and if if you tell them you've got a great audition coming up or well, there's a possible film part and when you don't get that film part, you suddenly feel a bit like an idiot that you've got to go back to and say, no, I didn't get it, mm. then you do get ridiculed for that. So I think there's a a point where with some people they don't follow their dreams because they worry about what will other people will say if they don't, you know, if they don't achieve them. It's uh, so yeah. a manner of reasons and I think in Spencer's case, a lot of that was peer pressure from his friends. Um, also, that, that whole well, you've 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 seen the, the film as you say, but the, the whole um, the backdrop of it, i.e. the troubles that he has that gets him into maybe just dragging backwards out of that that life that he could achieve. So there was all manner of obstacles for this kid.
0: Yeah, and he's in pretty much every scene, virtually. So obviously, casting the the, the character Spencer was, was very important. I was very impressed with Sam Gissons who, who plays him. How did you sort of come to cast him? Did you know him beforehand, or was he auditioned?
1: I, I did know him beforehand, to be honest. He, it, Sam was actually one of the first people I attached to the role. I, I was doing some—I you know, said I've done building work. I was doing some um, work in painting and stuff in an office years ago in a call center, and a lot of out-of-work actors used to work there, and Sam was one of them. And I got chatting to him one day and it, it turned out we were from the same area. He used to box for Elton, um, Elton Boxing Club, and he was actually a very good amateur, Sam. And we, we got chatting. As I was talking to him, I, I, I basically just popped into my head because I'd written this script in about 2010 mm. and it sat in a drawer for years. And when when I saw Sam, I said, you know what? I said, I've just written something. You'd be perfect for it. He had the right amount. I mean, you've seen it, so and it's good of you to say that he was good in it because I honestly think he really, for a, for a young actor come like he really carries this film um and hmm. does a fantastic job. And he had the right amount of vulnerability, the the right amount of cockiness, um, and was also very rough around the edges. So it was a nice balance for me. So he was the, the first person that I attached um before anybody else, before we even had producers, and I'd sent him the script, he'd agreed to do it. And then was the long journey of trying to get it financed. And a lot of people actually um were running the film down saying who wants to see a film about snooker um (laughs) it's really frustrating for me you know it's like i mean i think of films like the color of money which i know was was paul but it's a big sports and it's you know you don't have to like paul to be a fan of martin scorsese's the color of money it's a great film in its own right and that's kind of what i wanted to do with this and i think people were a lot of people that maybe don't follow snooker were blinkered but it's true what you say, this isn't just a, you know, a snooker film, snooker's the backdrop, so hopefully we'll have fans you know, from the snooker scene, and hopefully fans, just everyday people that maybe wouldn't ordinarily engage with snooker, that will watch the film and go, actually, do you know what, I wouldn't mind picking up a queue and popping down the local snooker and having a few friends because it's a great way to spend an afternoon and an evening, I used to love it.
0: Yeah. But of course, you mentioned Sam obviously is the main actor in it. But excitingly, you got to work with a few snooker players as well. There are a few cameos in this. We've got uh, Jack Lazowski, Liang Wenbo, who seemed to really enjoy himself, actually, and uh, Ken Doherty as well. Uh, What was it like uh, working with them? And how did you come to, to sort of put them in the film?
1: It was absolutely brilliant. You know what, when I first, I I tweeted about this film years ago, I was working on the premise that if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. So I started tweeting about Break, going, new film coming soon, and I'd knocked up a poster, um, and I I made it look like the film was actually happening, and Mm. Ken tweeted and went, this looks good, let me know, and I'll do a cameo. But I think he said it as a joke. (laughs) Um, I screenshotted the tweet, and about three years later, when we were looking like we were going, I sent him a screenshot of his tweet via Twitter and said, Ken, we're ready to go soon. I'm going to hold you to that cameo. (laughs) Uh, And he messaged back and went, yeah, sure. He said, here's here's, here's my number, all my contact details. Um, So he was the first one attached. And we shot, before we did the main body of the shoot, we shot at the Crucible, um, which we we can go into in a minute, how we got to be there if you want to. But for for now, we got Ken. So he was the first one. And then we started looking at other players we could attach. And um, I think the producer, Dean (coughs) Fisher. Uh, who looks after, amongst others, Judd Trump, uh, Lucas Brazil, uh, Jack Lasalsky, uh, Ollie Lyons, he's, he's got quite a few. And we spoke to him and, and we said, you know, we'd like to get Liang in there. And then also we said, maybe another one, let's let's have Jack as well. But Liang, as you, you mentioned in particular, I think really did enjoy it because yeah. I, I've got some fantastic behind, I, I don't know if we captured it on camera or, or, we, or if it was just real because we, it was between actual shoot but he had to say a line at the table and for whatever reason, something made him laugh and he was absolutely hysterical and laying on the floor, rolling around <laughs> in of laughing. That be brilliant because uh, he's got quite a high pitched voice as well. Hmm. Uh, and when he was laughing, you could really, his laugh was just cutting through the room and it was infectious. We was all laughing, but yeah, he, he did enjoy it. And I think Jack did as well. And, and, um, and I, I mean, you've seen it. I think they were all really good as well. I think they they, they all did their parts really well.
0: Yeah, and I think I'm right in saying as well, they also helped out, obviously, with the snooker sequences. You can't expect all the actors to be great snooker players. So the players, I guess, doubled at times uh, in terms of the actual snooker.
1: Yeah, they did. I mean, Jack was fantastic. We got him to do a, to, to clear the table um, in one scene, um, which we obviously shot in close up, and, uh, as if our main actor, Sam Gittin, Spencer Pride, was, was playing the shots. Um, and we also got Liang to play some at a separate location on a different day um ken didn't actually get to plan his shots for us but but yeah no jack was fantastic and, and we've got some stuff behind the scenes as well we where we've um we've got them doing a few trick shots um and lang's Lang, one was fantastic i don't know what you'd call the trick shot but he basically spotted the white in the center of the d and put the black directly opposite on the cushion you know at the bottom of the mm. table and from there with a certain amount of i suppose it would be bottom side spin um he potted it in the bottom left corner
0: Hmm.
1: which was just just I mean to say it over the you know how we're talking now probably you probably can't you can't appreciate it, but it was, it was such a fancy and he did it first time <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did
1: it three other times after it's just you really see the golfing class that anyone who thinks they can play when you get these guys into a room you see you know how how easy it is for them I mean I, I don't mean that as a dismissive I know they practice and put a hell of a lot of time in um, but but it, it really is. It's, it's fantastic to watch them. But I think, yeah, you, you're right about the snooker player with regards to Sam um, and, and the other players. They're actors, essentially. So you are going to probably get um, some snooker purists who go, oh, he does. He's not on the queue. Well, oh, that's ridiculous. hes You know, he's not very good. But they're actors. And if you'd have just gone for a snooker player, they couldn't carry the film in an mm. acting sense. So it's it's OK for people to criticise, which we've already had a couple, actually, on the uh, basis of the trailer saying you know, he doesn't look like he can hold the cue. And, uh, you know, how, how a professional would. And it's like, well, no, he's not a professional. He's an actor. You know, Tom Cruise is not really a fighter pilot. Um, <laughs> so. I think people will have to get over that. But I think as a, as a standalone film with a backdrop of Rock, I, th- I think it's a, a good film to watch. I really do, even though I've been involved in it. So I might be
0: biased. But. <laughs> well, you mentioned, uh, Michael, of course, you say that the Crucible you filmed there, um, which I think gives it authenticity, obviously, because everyone knows that's the one venue everyone, everybody knows. So how did that happen? Because that's quite a prestigious thing. You didn't just film there. You filmed there before, I think, the World Championship final.
1: We did just before um, um, Higgins and... Uh, Mark Williams. Mm. Um, it was it was amazing to be honest with you. We we couldn't believe it. It was a fantastic place to to be in. It's so it's so iconic. We we contacted Ivan Hershowitz um, from Matchroom and early doors, and we ended up having a meeting with Barry Hearn, who was very supportive and said, yeah, you know what, you can have the um, you you can you know Ivan facilitated a lot of it for us and said you can shoot at the Crucible, but you have to be in and out. So we had a certain certain time slot, which put us up against it time wise. But, um, I mean, as you say, it was wonderful to film there. It really was amazing. And it really does give the film a lot of authenticity to actually go into the Crucible and do that. So, really, it was thanks to the guys at Matchroom who have been so supportive of this. Um, all of them, you know, Ivan and Barry Hearn as well, in particular, has, has been amazing. Um, and I think that's... When you approach people like that and you're doing a film about their sport, it can go, you know, one of two ways. They can show no interest and say, no, it's you know, we're not interested in films. Or they can be supportive, which is what they've done, I think, which is amazing for us. It really mm. and allow us to shoot there is just was it really does I think elevate the film in terms of for a, a low budget independent British film to be able to shoot there it just gives us some massive uh, production values.
0: We should say as well that we've talked about the various players that are in it. There's a very very well known actor in this. Rutger Hauer is in it. Or sadly passed away last year. But how did you end up with him in the film? Because that's uh, that's quite a coup.
1: It is yeah. We 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 were approaching. For his role, we approached quite a few big name actors in, in the early days, um, and we had another actor, it's pointless me mentioning now, but another big actor as well that said yes to the role. And then when we came round to finally finance, he was uh, contracted elsewhere. So our casting director, Kate Planting, put a, a breakdown out, and some of the agents come back with suggestions, and we were looking for all these, you know, good good acting names. And all of a sudden, we were flicking through the photos and the submissions. Rutger Howe was there. And we all sort of looked at each other and went, really? <laughs> really? Would he do this? And I said, well, he's, he's you know, his agent's putting forward. Let's let's try it. So we basically called back and said, look, we'd love Rutger to do this. Um, do you think he'd be interested? And the first thing he said was, you know, Michael's a first-time director, which I am, um, and I'd need to see the script. So we sent in the script, and it, and it came back after about a week that he'd read it. He liked it. Um, and he was he, he was happy to do it, but he needed to talk to me, so I had to have several calls um, over the phone. I think on the phone, I think it was um, either WhatsApp calls or Skype calls, but we were videoing anyway, so we were chatting to each other chatting, and just having a little bit of a chat about the scripts, with how we, how um, what my vision of the film was, and and his role, and we. <laughs> on so in the end we have a call where we just chat about everyday life and laugh and joke and then all of a sudden it came back round to it and I said "Rucker, are you going to do this film or not because we've seen we seem to have gone off on a tangent chatting about other stuff and he said well I don't know <laughs> uh, which was really frustrating I thought no I thought we were getting somewhere so I basically just put it on the spot I said "Rucker, please listen I'm not going to ruin this film you know it's it it will be a nice film to be involved in please just say yes and he he took a beat and then he just yeah okay I'll do it so, and it was as simple as that he, he agreed and, and uh that was it i put the phone down i think i was on cloud mine after putting the phone down i couldn't believe me luck
0: well, i was going to say for your first film um you know to get someone like that and if you've gone and watching blade runner and all, the, and all the rest that's quite something i mean i guess that that they, but that must have persuaded you right i've really got to make sure i do this well because we've now got a serious name attached to it
1: yeah it does it certainly does add a little bit of pressure um it really does. But then to be honest, I think because it had been such a, a passion project, I mean, from the time I wrote it, it's taken over 10 years I've had it, you know. Tr- and I wasn't pushing that whole time, admittedly, for, for quite a long time. It was just sat in a drawer. Um, but it certainly, from when I started to push it out there, it took about five, six years to actually get made, to get the money and then, and then to get done. So I think the the pressure was on me anyway after all that time to to not mess it up. I mean, obviously, people are making their own opinions up when they see the film, but I don't think I have. Um, I'm pleased with it. I think anyone who says they're completely happy and anything's perfect would be lying. So there would certainly be, with money permitting, time permitting, um, and with hindsight, that there'd be things that I might change or tweak. But overall, I'm very happy with it. Um, and I think, yeah, the pressure was there, certainly with, with regards to the whole thing.
0: I um, just lost you briefly Michael I hope you can still hear me um, yes I yeah,
1: that's
0: fine all right now I should explain I'm in I'm at the World Championship Qualifiers which stopped t- tomorrow and the, I'm in a hotel and the Wi-Fi is not great but I think I think we just got that um, I was going to ask I mean you, you know you first time uh, director obviously you come from an acting background the process of getting a film made I think the outside world is quite mysterious maybe most people don't even think about how films get made but obviously you, you need a lot of people you need money to, to put it all together um where do you even start UK you've written the script where do you go with it and how do you how do you end up with a film that's actually finished
1: yeah uh that's a good question And <laughs> I think to this day David I'm not sure I even know how we got here to be honest with you um but basically, as I say, I put it out there that this was happening. And one of the other people I approached later on was an actress called Terry Dwyer, mm. um, who many people might know from Hollyoaks. She used to do 60 Minute Makeover as well. So she crossed into presenting. But I, I read on her tweets that she was looking to get back into acting. So I, I started looking back and thinking about it. So I searched a few of her roles on um, YouTube again. And just to, to refresh myself, I knew who she was. I was well aware of who she was. Um And then I thought, actually, she'd be really good playing Spencer Pride's mum. So I approached her and said, do you want to read the script? I've got a role you might be interested in. Anyway, cut a long story short, she was interested. We met in London to talk about the film. And she asked me, how much money have you got to make this film? And and when when are we starting? To which I replied, "Um, well, I've got absolutely no money, Um, no producers. I've got nothing. I've just got you and a couple of actors attached. Um, So then I asked her, would you be happy to produce it? I said, you probably know a lot more people it on that side of things that i do um and she luckily agreed and then she introduced me to dean fisher who's another producer that she'd worked with in the past and it really sort of started from there i mean I'd, I'd approached a couple of financiers before i even approached them but but a lot of them were telling me to get rid of sam gittins um mm. and saying you know get an, a named actor i think Taryn edgerton's name was banded about a few times and and i was always of the opinion that if you're gonna you know start a film like this why not give a young up-and-coming actor a chance if because people didn't want to give me a chance a few people said to me i can produce this film for you i can get the money but you can't direct it Uh, um because no one knows you as a director so i think i had to get quite precious then and quite tight with it and say no i'm not letting go of the script because it will descend into something i don't want which is it could have ended up being a shout it's like a no disrespect but like a a soap opera like like an eastenders type of shout Mm. script other and you know a working class cockney sort of drama, which I didn't want, and I could see that in if it was out of my hands, I couldn't control that. I wanted to make something close to what I've made, so I think that was um, the process. Then we eventually we found a broker who, who basically finds money for people. Uh, they charge percentage for their you know for their outlay because it costs them to, to break downs out and to try mm. and get people in, and we basically use them to source money. We use some private equity investors of our own that we met and putting the, you know, bulletins out and to investors. And once you start to get a bit of money, you have to keep making videos, making appeals to people and saying, look, we're trying to make this film, we've got this name attached. Once we got Rutger Hauer, um, we were about two thirds, I think, and it had taken us about six months to get that. Once we started going out to financiers, once we got Rutger, I think the rest of the money all came within about a month. Mm. So having him on board certainly adds a lot of credibility to the project,
0: which is all great, and you've got it made. But of course, the problem is it's coming out at a time where cinemas are essentially closed. Um, we we know the reasons why, or the, the lockdown and everything. I think they are sort of opening up soon, but it's obviously a very difficult time for cinemas. So how are people actually going to get the chance to see the film?
1: Well, we're at, we've actually on the 22nd, which is in two days' time of this month, we're actually holding a drive-in uh, cinema event at the Brent Cross Shopping Centre. Tickets are available on our website at breakfilms.co.uk um, and you can just sign up, register for a ticket and the tickets are actually free. Um, so people can just come down in their car. One, two, three, four of them in a the car if they want to. Tickets are free. Um, there will be a red carpet. There will be press covering it. We've got, I believe, ITV coming down Um sky i think are coming down and we've got some people from good morning britain as well covering the event. So there will be a, a host of a few familiar names from tv film and music as well in attendance so people will be able to see the red carpet interviews um and, and then after watch the film and after that we've got a dj plan as well so we're trying to make the best of the as you say the covid 19 situation and and make it a nice fun event for people to come down and view the film it is unfortunate that cinemas are not open um, but there really isn't a lot we can do about that, so we've just had to go with what we can. And I think it should be a fun evening as we get the weather, which we look like might be fixed. So they can see it there. The film is then released digitally um, and DVD on the 31st of August. Mm. But I think you can actually preview, uh, pre-order DVDs now. I think it's up on HMV and different sites, like Apple, um, iTunes, uh, it will be out there as well. But we hope after this, we're, going to, we're actually going to Sheffield and the film will be again a driving at the Don Valley right? and that will be on the 1st and 2nd of August so still during the tournament and in mm. the evening hopefully uh, we'll be able to hook up with a few of the uh, snooker players afterwards uh, maybe at a bar somewhere let's
0: see we... <laughs> Brilliant and, and has this experience of, of making this film persuaded you do you want to do another one or uh, you, you know because you've sort of shifted from acting to directing is that something you want to do more of now
1: yeah, definitely. I think um, I still I, look. I still love acting. I will still take roles if they come up, um, but it's not something I'm pushing for as much as I used to. I think for me now, I have fallen in love with not just the directing, but the the writing side of things. I really like, um, you know, the script process um, coming up with ideas, and I've actually got two or three projects um, that are pretty much finished at the moment that I'm going to start pitching to people and try to get out there and try and get some financiers and and also TV companies interested because one of them's a, a series, an ongoing series. Uh, much in the vein of, say, an English sort of Sopranos. Um, so yeah, I think definitely I will be pushing to to write and direct more more stuff now. Um, it was a hard task, um, and it's certainly not for the faint-hearted. We had a, it was a big problems coming. We had lots of hurdles, lots of things to overcome. And then as you as you've mentioned, the uh, we had a pandemic thrown at us as well <laughs> just before we were about to release and have a West End premiere. Um, mm. So yeah, it's, it's certainly been a a testing time but it hasn't put me off that there, there will be um hopefully more from me once this comes out hopefully people will give me another chance to do some more stuff and put
0: the, their faith in me good well just give us the website again michael so people can go there if they want tickets
1: okay so www.breakfilms.co.uk uh, and if you go on there there's a link to register which you'll have to do through eventbrite and you just register for a ticket if you if there's If there's just one car coming, even if there's four of you in there, just register for one ticket and the four of you come in one car. Obviously, if there's eight of you coming and you're bringing two cars, then register for two tickets. But the tickets are free. They are running out fast. Um, But if people want to come and and, and see the film, there there is still time to to grab a ticket and there's still some left.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, just to say, I think uh, our chat did cut out a couple of times just because of the Wi-Fi, but hopefully 99% of it uh, will go through. Michael, thanks for joining us on the podcast, and I wish you all the best for your film.
1: Thank you, David. Great to talk to you.
0: Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.